You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. We're working on how to be new. That song is the perfect song uh, to, to lead into what I have to say. You make me new, you're making me new. But how are you doing that? How, how do I change it all? So do it. I, I like polls. I like uh, audience participation. So this one, everyone can participate in this. You won't feel uncomfortable about it. One of these questions. Raise your hand if you can say yes and leave, leave, leave it raised. Do you ever find it hard to interrupt one of your personal patterns? All right, I almost have 100% hands up. Do you ever find it hard to break a bad habit? Do you ever find it hard to do anything new at all? Keep your hands raised. I think we're basically in 100% agreement, even if you, your hand got tired and you put it down already. And these are kind of silly questions, but that kind of 100% agreement, it's a hot commodity these days. And I just want you to remember those hands raised the next time you feel alone. Because in this moment at 545 on Sunday, uh, the 5th of February, 2017, happened to be Super Bowl Sunday, but I was at the Sunday meeting. I was not alone. We were all feeling that difficulty of transformation. That human experience, we shared it with our hands. End of it. Paul is giving instructions for how to live in community. Circle of Hope is a direct result of that teaching, along with other teachings in the New Testament and even what God was teaching us before that too. We're creating an environment where people can know God and act for redemption. Building a community that expresses who God is, that's like our main work. And I think we're we're unique in that, though all churches are building a community. The fact that that's like our main thing, that's how we're communicating the gospel, uh, we're, we're unique in having that strategy. So we, we can say with some level of confidence, no, we're not alone. Being a part of this body helps us to know for a fact that we are not alone. And there are many opportunities for us to experience that and express that among us. We want real togetherness to know. We don't want just people to put a shine on it and say, yeah, we're not alone. No. We want it to be real, and that takes hard work for us to actually be together. The kind of mutuality that we're going for as a church takes work, and I think that's what Paul is trying to create when he's writing to his little baby church plant in Ephesus. So at the end of Ephesians, Paul's giving a lot of instructions for what it's going to take for y'all to be together in Christ. Um, uh, Togetherness that transcends all kinds of boundaries which require us to change. The fact, we're all together, and we come from a lot of different places, but a minute ago we all had our hands raised. We were all together on something, and that kind of togetherness across the different boundaries that, that we have, if even only the boundaries of our region, you know, there's like 40 municipalities within a 20-minute drive from this location. Even those boundaries, but all the other ones that are being built up between us along ideological lines, along uh, racial lines, all of the ways that we're getting separated by the, the, the powers that be, because it behooves them for us to not be united against them, uh, they 
uh, are trying to do one thing, and we're overcoming that. Not being alone is a comfort to us, but it's also a challenge. We have to actually be together, and we can't just fake it. And that's what Paul's trying to do, help people do in uh, Ephesians, I think. So let's talk about harmony. Oh, I need, somehow I lost control of this, Scott. Give me, give, me, give me a slide up there. All right, I need the piano for this. That was really good. That's harmony, y'all. The first, the third, and the fifth. But wait a second, check this one out. I forgot I had to tell you about the, you don't have to sing this one. Got that one? Then throw like a C sharp in there. Ew, that sounds gross. All right, so that's my little demonstration because we threw the C sharp in there. That's what you're saying. You can barely see it because the highlighter didn't really work, but do you, do you see how there's, there's a few highlighted there? We threw that one in there. Just one little half step up, we threw it into the mix of our music and it messed it up. Just a little change, just a little change of the C sharp up there and it made a big difference in the sound of it. Do you remember? Remember how beautiful you sounded? I didn't have any of you sing it, but the C sharp jacked it up. And if you were a person that sang C sharp, you know, imagine yourself, this is who you are, C sharp is my best note, and I ain't singing another note, okay? I am a C sharp kind of person, and I'm not singing any other one. It's only a half step up. It's not that different from C. It's not even that different from E. It's only, you know, uh, two and a half steps down. Not that far away, it's kind of close. So I'm just gonna sing C sharp, because that's how I do. You're gonna mess up that beauty. You're gonna mess it up. And there are a bunch of people in this room that are C sharp people. Not recalcitrant C sharp people. Not ones that are only going to sing C sharp. But you are not all just like predisposed to sing a beautiful note together, you know? Y'all aren't just C, and y'all aren't just E, and y'all aren't just G. Okay? Too much music theory, I know. We're moving on. You adapted to sing a beautiful thing together, and that's what Paul's trying to teach us to do. How are we going to live in harmony? Yeah, you're coming from a lot of different places. Yes, you, you bring your own note, but in order to make a chord together, you're going to have to adapt a little bit and sing with the people around you. And that's what Paul is teaching us to do in Ephesians. You're going to have to do something a little bit new uh, to sing with the person next to you. And this is all metaphorical because we're really talking about living together in Christ, just to remind you. Uh, I talked to you all about uh, Ephesians 3 uh, a couple weeks ago. And last week, Johnny Rashid, our pastor that is normally on North Broad, came and spoke to you about uh, chapters 4 and 5 a little bit. And here I am coming in with 5 and 6. If you remember how the, the, the book of Ephesians works, the, I, I talked about this. The first three chapters are kind of like setting up. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are. Let me get it real firm. This is what God has done for you. And this is who you are. Kind of like that song we were singing that Stevie was teaching us. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. That's kind of the first part of Ephesians. It's basically that. And then at the end in three in in chapters three or 
end of three, four, five, and six, he starts giving instructions. And a lot of people will kind of get a little skeezed out by Paul because he gets heavy-handed, it seems, especially for our modern ears. And we're going to get into that. This section of chapter 5, verse 21 through 6, 9, I think is about uh, how people from different places, people that are predisposed to sing a certain way, come together and can live in harmony. And it's one of the more controversial parts of the New Testament. But I think that what Paul is doing is finding a way for, for people to coexist and actually love each other. Uh, because, for example, in Ephesians 2, this is where God is, where Paul is setting up, this is who you are, this is who God is. He talks about how um, Paul has brought, or Paul brought them together in a church, and then those who were far off were brought near. Uh, God has brought Gentiles and Jews together. This is the big division of Paul's story. That happened. So if that can happen, maybe we can bring these people together too. And Paul's trying to work out how that looks. So this portion of the Bible that I put up on the screen and is very distracting. I should have waited a second while I was making that last point. Um, it, people scratch their heads about it because it seems like it's just way too backwards at first glance. The New Living Translation gives it these headings that are up there. Wives and husbands, children and parents, and slaves and masters. So just from the headings, you might already be scratching your heads. Okay, wives and, wives and husbands, okay. Cool with that. Children and parents, yeah, I get that. Slaves and masters, hold the phone. We're not, Bible's not about slavery. How are slaves and masters gonna live in harmony? How will there be any harmony if there are slaves at all? This is a decent question, and I'd like to unpack it a little bit. It says about slaves and masters, obey, slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. And then the masters have something they gotta do too. Masters treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. But one is a slave and the other is the master. Kind of problematic, especially for us freedom-loving, freedom uh, post-enlightenment Usonians. Usonian is a word that Frank Lloyd Wright invented to talk about people from the United States because we don't have one. We talk about Americans all the time, but they're like a bunch of countries in the Americas, like Peru. You know, to say American is like Peruvian. Anyway, Usonian, that's your word of the day. It's not in the dictionary. He didn't win. So first, if you want to get anything out of Paul's thoughts on slavery, we have to remember that when he speaks about slaves and women, for that matter, um, he, and he's speaking about them as serious members of the church, his respect for them from the get-go, it's subversive in his time. Remember, this is the first century. There's still slavery and subjugation of women like today, 2,000 years later, here in the United States. And both of those things were on the books until less than 200 years ago. So we often forget 
as we turn our kind of imperial gaze, we're, we're the empowered empire of the, of the, of the day, the, the dog on top du jour. We look on it as this kind of backwards thinking that Paul is writing uh, as, um, we look on it as kind of backwards because we often forget that Paul is writing as one of the underling people. He is being seen by the empire as like a backward kind of person. He's on the bottom with the slaves. So the church got hooked up with the institution a couple hundred years after Paul was writing. And so ever since then, we've kind of been dictating, this is how the world should run. And when you're on top, when you're the top dog and you're talking to, to women and children and slaves, it has a different ring when you got the patriarchal power and you got the slaving power and you're on the top of empire. When Constantine the Great is the storyteller, it's different than when Paul is the storyteller. Y'all know who Constantine the Great was? In the 300s, he made Christianity the official uh, religion of Rome and then Christianity kind of shot to the top to the point where you have Jude Law being the young pope on HBO and it's just politics. Have you seen that, mo that show yet? Don't watch it. So he's not writing from over, he's writing from under, and I think it changes that perspective. And it's hard for us as members of a democracy to understand that completely. So just give him a pause, okay, before you write him off. In order to hear what Paul, who calls himself the slave of Jesus, is teaching, we're going to have to get into his slavish shoes. In Philippians 2.7, Paul describes Jesus himself as taking on the form of a slave. Okay? This is the kind of bottom underling thinking that Paul is doing. Uh, Jesus takes on the form of a slave, and Paul says, well, if I'm a freedman in Christ, I'm Christ's slave. That's who I am. That's the identity that I'm taking on. He's, he's saying no to whatever power he has and taking on the form of Christ who himself took on the form of a slave. You might have read in the New Testament uh, them talking about that Christ is the servant. And that's just bad translating. It's bad in the, when they started writing the Bible in a bunch of different languages, when they took it out of the Greek and the Latin that it had been in for hundreds and thousands of years back in the 1500s, they started to translate it into our languages. They just cleaned it up for us, you know. Servant sounds better. Let me serve you up some salvation. That's better, you know, than Christ being our slave. That does not compute, you know, because the, and because the balance of power had changed so much between when it had written, when it was written, and when they were doing the translation, the meaning changed dramatically as well. So we're trying to recapture that idea that Paul's a slave of Christ. Christ is our slave, or he made himself our slave, not our servant, our slave, doulos. And it changes the whole thing. However, of course, there are no slaves in Christ. It says that in Colossians. There are no slaves in Christ. A slave in the world is God's free person. A free person in the world is God's slave. This is hard to translate to people who were trained in the delusion that law makes them free and rational rules and education 
will prevent suffering. That's what, you, that's what we've all been trained in the United States. Law is going to save you, and that rational rules and education are going to prevent suffering. That's our salvation, as given to us by the Usonian religion. But we're going with Jesus in a much deeper, harder to understand way. You know, Paul might respond to such ideas as, uh, you know, education saving us or all that. He, he'd say, though I am blameless before the law, I am God's prisoner, a lifelong felon freed from grace, freed by grace. No one wants to work for human masters. We do whatever we do for the Lord. Even when oppressed, we experience the hope that we will have our reward and the oppressors will get theirs. That's the radical kind of people that Paul's talking to in Ephesus. They don't have an idea about how the world's going to work out, but they do know that they are free in Christ and they can act from that, even if they themselves are still owned by someone else. So if we start with these understandings and then we look at Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians, I think it gets a little easier to comprehend. Paul says elsewhere, if you can gain your freedom, get it. And he asks a slave owner that he knows, Philemon, to free his, his slave, Onesimus, so that Onesimus can come and serve Paul where he's at. Paul's not part of the institution. He does not really consider the possibility of changing the institution either, because he's coming from under it. Again, the church got lumped in with the powers that be, and we've been recovering from it ever since. So these passages where wives are to submit to their husbands, children submit to their parents, slaves submit to their masters, it all sounds exactly like the patriarchy and oppression, that men are on top, that the powerful are on top, that, uh, that if you have enough money and the other person doesn't, you can make them your property. If you have enough guns to subjugate a people group, you can be the king of that world. It sounds like a cookbook for subjugation, Ephesians 5 here. How is this a recipe for harmony? Because that's what I'm trying to say that it is. I haven't gotten there yet. We must be who we are in Christ, whether woman, man, child, parent, slave, master, or any other social position we find ourselves in, we must start in Christ. We who follow Jesus are slaves to Christ, and this is our primary identity. And only from this perspective will we be able to be who we are and live in harmony without taking on some bogus idea about the power of men over women or masters over slaves we start in that safe place, we can figure out how to creatively be together. And that's what Paul's doing in his instructions to the Ephesians. And it's creative for his time, but not creative enough. And I don't think that he meant it to be an instruction booklet for us. What he's instructing us about is, this is how you do harmony, y'all. This is how you get together in this context. I'm starting from who I am in Christ, and now I can tell the wives who they are and how they should relate. 
and I can tell the husbands who they are and how they should relate. And this is a revolution that I'm respecting women and children and slaves as respectable people. This is a, this is, this is a drastic uh, toppling of the social order while still working inside of the social order. It's a creative solution to the problem that Paul is coming at where all these different types of people are coming together and they're getting this experience of freedom in Christ and they're like, well, doesn't that mean that everything changes? Well, yes and no because we're working on, we're working on, on making this all work together and we're going to figure it out. Walter Brueggemann uh, has a new book out. Oh, did I miss it? Oh, there it is. Walter Brueggemann has a new book out, Just in Time for Lent. And here's a quote, a quote from it that I found on Twitter. The crisis in the U.S. church has almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservatives and has everything to do with giving up on the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a comic, common and comic generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence a way other than our own. It's a pretty good title. Totally want to read that book. Little Reflections for Lent. Let's not settle for this identity that Brueggemann is describing as the US identity. Of course, we who are American are influenced by our culture and upbringing, but we must come together in Christ to have an, an identity in him. Paul's writing to the Ephesians in their circumstance and hashing out some ideas for how they can live in that kind of harmony with each other and within society. The unity that Christ achieves is astounding. Again, he brought the Gentile Christians of Ephesus together with he, the uber-Hebrew who has become a Christian. Paul is celebrating that and trying to apply it now in the world that they're living in. So, back to my excerpts. There they are. See how I made verse 21 kind of big over all of it? I think this is the overarching theme of all that follows in the section. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on, for wives, this means this. For husbands, this means this. And let me tell you about children and parents and slaves and masters. It all refers back to that heading that I put at the top. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Got my papers mixed up there, sorry. Paul's trying to work out in his context what will bring harmony as community. How do we reply this reality that Christ has welcomed us into in our real world? Now I'm getting to the application for us. What does it look like for us? We start with the ultimate truth that Christ has set us free, that no matter what, that's who we are. And then we work out from there. And there are a lot of ways to work it out. So, because there are a lot of ways, there's also a lot of opinions about how it should be done. That's why we, we have, you know, tons of books, tons of denominations, tons of ways of being the church. Um, 
there's a lot of secondary realities that do need to be addressed, but our first step is harmony. But we don't, again, want harmony that's a smokescreen for the status quo. We don't want a harmony that says, wait for your full humanity. You remember Dr. King writing that book, Why We Can't Wait? Because they were, they were working on harmony? There's a backside to my argument here, and I have to acknowledge it. That we could say, you know, oh, let's just, let's just take it easy. Don't, don't do too much. So the radical nature of, of God's love and what it means in the world is still in play. Harmony is not replacing who Jesus is and who he calls us to be. The teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are still our marching orders. And, and, and working that out is uh, important. But harmony, as Christ has created it, as Christ has uh, inaugurated it in our reality, is the place from which we're going to start to do anything. And we need to have that be a part, a big part of the conversation for how we're going to respond to the world as it is and make it better. And I think that we've done that uh, quite well in our mission statement as the church. This is Circle of Hope's mission statement. Loving the thirsty people of our fractured region, we keep generating a new expression of the church to resist and restore with those moved by the Holy Spirit. One of the first things I did as a pastor in Circle of Hope, even before I was pastor here, was I made a t-shirt that said resist and restore. Uh, That resistance to uh, the power that be and that restoration is at the heart of who we are. And, and us doing it together is uh, uh, the heart of our gospel. We resist. I say, I am Christ's slave. And that defiant statement of resistance, that's a, that is a defiant statement of resistance. My existence is resistance. I will never be a slave to a human, no matter what anyone does to me. Imprison me or take away my livelihood. I will always belong to the Lord forever. And as Jesus demonstrates in a very real sense, Jesus will belong to me forever. He has made himself our slave. We restore. I am an obedient slave. My work is well-ordered. Jesus is the Lord of all, and we are making that known and effective day by day. We restore by reorienting people's identities to align with their salvation. This is who you are. And that could be an argument for all kinds of things instead of the opinions and ideologues. No, this is who you are in Christ. If this is the reality that God has created, stop living like it isn't. And that has a lot of ramifications, both in the political world and especially in our hearts. We restore by relentlessly loving in the face of hate and indifference. We restore by telling the truth in the face of lies, which abound. We restore by sharing our resources and making peace. And I think most important, we restore by practicing the kind of mutuality that creates an alternative community that is not allied with the powers that divide us up all the time. Our mutuality, the harmony that we create, that beautiful chord that we sang is so worth protecting 
because we need to have a viable alternative to the power structures that are coming down upon us with all of their might and trying to divide us up and trying to create discord where God has created harmony because that reality of us being together is much more powerful than me being right on my C sharp. This mutuality is going to require some changes. We don't need to change everything about who we are, but we are going to need to sing together. We're going to have to come together from where we're coming from and love each other beyond the boundaries. Yes, be as different as you are. You are different than every other person in this room. That's the nature of humanity, and it's beautiful. But you're going to have to do something a little different to s protect yourself from the isolation that is being uh, preached and enforced and nurtured in us by most of the forces in society. Our most effective sign to the world is that mutuality that we achieve with one another in Christ. That's why we say that we're an environment. We're creating something that you can feel, that you can be, that you can participate in. And I think that our fractured region and the thirsty people in it really need that. I really need that. I think most of you have recognized how much you need that. And I'm glad to be doing it with you. And now I want to pray that we can keep doing it and including others in it. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.